Hello and welcome back to Nomads You and I. Tonight we are going to take a scripture hike through Colossians chapter 4 beginning in verse 1. But first Mark Dunnigan, what a couple of days that we've had here and we could not have done what we just did without a big support group just like what Paul talks about at the end of this chapter, right? He had his support group. We have ours, man. Yeah, anytime that you have a lot going on, it could be a move or could be like when you have a baby, you know, Yo. type of stuff. Yeah. Because uh, we just visited some people that, that had, had twins, right? Twins. And we're bringing, Boy and a girl. There were friends that were just bringing food over yep. and, and taking care of them. Yep. And so, yeah, it reminds me of we helped out about a year ago. Well, all, this time last year, about a year ago in Maryland, we helped out a couple that did a Ironman triathlon. Yeah, Dennis and Julie. And so if you need that, I mean, in a, in a marathon and an Ironman, uh-huh. if you need a support team, uh-huh. how much more in just life in general? Because life is a marathon. Yeah. It is a race. And to make it through with your head on straight, man, you do need to be an Ironman. And you do need to have your people. And this chapter will talk about people that Paul said had been an encouragement to him. Yes. So shout out to Barry, Debbie, Ryan, and Bo. Man, so the last two days, like they're they're like, yeah, we'll drive four hours round trip to lift five for five hours all your heavy stuff and put it in a moving truck. What kind of people do this? Well, people that are an encouragement. That would be. <laughs> oh boy! So here we sit before you, uh, having had a major workout mentally and physically, and so let's just see. Colossians chapter 4 verse 1 says, Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Justice and fairness do not just magically show up, and and neither are they like free or, mm. or easy. And notice there's a choice there. Um, I think the Sermon on the Mount, treat others the way you want to be treated. That, that would be good rule of thumb for, well, okay, what's justice and fairness look like? Well, you would treat them the way that you would want to be treated. And that pretty much would fix just about everything in such a relationship. And I like the word there, knowing. You're not just autonomous as far as like you're not accountable to anyone. Knowing you have a master in heaven. Mm-hmm. And so we just on our podcast before this talked about that relationship and with more depth. So we're not going into that much here. But yeah, Luke 6.31 says, treat people the same way that you want them to treat you. If you were in a culture in which slavery was the economic system, how would you as a slave want to be treated by your master? So God says that in order for masters to go to heaven, they had to grant their slaves justice and fairness. So... In that system, we find passages in the Old Testament where there, passage, where there were actually laws in that system to highly regulate it, but there were situations where the servant didn't want to go free. He wanted to stay. and Yeah, he's he, like part of the family. Yeah, he was part of the family. Very now. respected, appreciated. There were also many instances where the servant ended up wealthier than the master because the master saw that he had such a capable individual and entrusted a lot to him and also gave him like funds to invest. First of all, with the wrong attitude, even the most well thought out fair job can be a nightmare. Okay. Right. When sin enters, sin can just gum up everything. But I like the idea of 
Well, why should you grant them justice and fairness? That is, if there is no God, why should you grant them that? Because, well, they're just an accident, like you're an accident. And this makes this only makes sense like justice and fairness. Don't talk about justice and fairness unless you want to factor God into the equation. Because if there is no God, there's no such thing as justice and mm-hmm. fairness. And there's really no moral reason why there needs to be mm-hmm. justice and fairness. But if there is a God and that person next to you is created in God's image, then there's a good reason for justice and fairness. It's kind of amazing that in an economic system as flawed, I mean, a master-slave relationship may be one of the most flawed (laughs) economic systems a country can have, but isn't it amazing, Mark, how even in that flawed system, Christianity could play out in a beautiful way? Yeah, it's amazing what the gospel can fix. Yeah, And I think there's also a principle here, too, uh, with masters, which a lot of these principles, aren't they going to translate as well over to employers? Like any time that you're in a leadership position, okay? So there's definitely applications for our modern day here. And I think one of them would be that the scriptures would go along with this idea of even when treating your slaves or your employees with justice and fairness means it's to your own disadvantage, you still do the right thing, right? You make that sacrifice in order to be fair and just. It may cost you something in the process. Yeah, I think Psalm 15 talks about that, that the godly person is the person who, like, makes a commitment, and now that commitment starts costing them, you know? Yeah. But they keep it anyway. Yeah. Um, They keep their word. Yes, so knowing that you two have a master in heaven, and we're told to whom we must give an account for how we've treated one another. And you know, Mark, how we're supposed to treat one another, according to Matthew 5, 7, is blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So anytime we're in a leadership position of any kind, we are to be merciful. Yeah, and we all have a master in heaven. I think that's something that people need to realize. Mm-hmm. That They might say, well, I don't believe in God. Okay, but that doesn't change anything. He's still there. Yeah. <laughs> so you still have a master in heaven, and you still are going to have to give an account one day. So you, you can stick your head in the sand, or I think the mature thing to do is I'm going to accept what reality is. Mm-hmm. So verse 2 says, devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it. I like that. First of all, devote. Uh, there is so much to pray about. You, yeah. you could pray all night long and not exhaust the needs. And, now, it's, and it works so well, you know, that dabbling in it, that's not going to cut it. And you're going to your, devote yourself to something. Uh, there's a lot of people that are devoted to worrying <laughs> and mm, they're devoted to yeah. anger or yeah. they're devoted to fretting. Um so ongoing conversations with God before the throne. Yes. Uh, and it would be good to go like, well, what's my current devotion level Yeah. in my life? Right. Um, keeping alert in it is a really neat statement hmm. because it almost is, you know, just be aware of what's going on as news and needs and concerns come in, pray about such things. Keep the prayer door open constantly um you know like hey what's going on and what what's the conversation you just had with the people at lunch and yeah and so keeping alert 
keep an alert in it. I really like that. Just don't say a prayer where you just go through the same old motions, but okay, what did you just hear? Like, hey, that needs to be on the list. I need to be praying about that. Right. I loved what our daughter Ashley does sometimes as she's raising her young children. We think of prayer as always like, oh, here's some trouble that we can pray about. Here's some more problems. Here's another problem. She would invite her children to play at times where sometimes it would be if they're scared about something, but also, Mark, if something went really, really well to stop and praise God. So there's, you know, there's all the different aspects of prayer that we need to be keeping alert in it. We want to come before God with gratitude. Yeah, I have recognized that in myself of needing to make sure that I brought it all to God. So I have in my daily uh, devotions, writing prompts, uh, really like prayer prompts even. So I have my heart most filled with praise about today. I will confess something like there's usually something, Mark, every day that you're feeling convicted by, or you know that you ha- you're feeling a certain kind of weakness. Um, so I confess that. And then intercession, like that reminds me to kind of get my mind off myself and who needs my prayers today intercession and yes thanksgiving at least one thing that i'm exceptionally thankful for that's unique to this day and so yeah separating all of that out and taking the time to do it has just been really very very much of a worthy use of my time and my focus when it comes to prayer. Mark, do you think though that this keeping alert in it, so is that talking about the tendency of our mind to wander off? Because sometimes we're telling God, we're confessing to God what our trouble is, and then our brain starts thinking of ideas to solve it, and it's really easy for your brain to wander off and start troubleshooting these cares. So is, I mean, you kind of applied it in a cool way where it's more of, hey, keep praying. Is it also like while you're praying? Yeah, don't let your mind, wouldn't it be like when you're talking to someone, keep eye to eye contact? Oh, yeah. Yeah, keep eye to eye contact when you're talking to God. That is a really good analogy, that focus. And so we might even ask ourselves, what is the best time of day? You know, because we all mark, like, I'm more of a night owl. You kind of get up a little bit earlier than I do. And we just have different cycles of when we're most alert. And so, like, I think about our first fruits. Like, what time of the day is my prime time to talk to God? Because we're going to talk to God off and on all day long, but there really should be that focused effort where you are sitting in, yeah, like you just said, eye to eye, heart to heart contact. So with an attitude of thanksgiving. Yeah, watch the grumbling. Philippians Mm. chapter 2 verse 14. Watch the focusing on the negative and losing sight of your blessings. Yes. Even in trial, the wise heart asks, what good might God be up to in this situation? You know, Mm -hmm. that's what a thankful heart does. All right, verse 3 says, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. Mm, I like that. Paul wanted other Christians to pray for him. Now, he's an apostle. He spoke by inspiration. He could work miracles. But even an apostle who could work miracles benefited from the prayers yeah. of people that were not yeah. apostles Isn't and who did not speak by inspiration. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be an apostle for God to hear your prayers mm-hmm. and for your prayers to matter. I like how of all the things that you could pray for, yeah. Paul said, 
here's what I would appreciate, that God would open up to us a door or mm-hmm. an opportunity for the word, and that would be an opportunity to preach or to convert people. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times I think we get focused a little bit on the wrong path. We might go like, well, where should I place my money in? What would be the best job for me? Or God, help me find a good house at a good price. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes, and I don't think there, I don't think there's anything wrong about praying for wisdom to be a good steward. But sometimes a lot of our prayers resemble someone who is using God to get the best deal instead of. Paul didn't mention any of that. Mm-hmm. He wanted to be used by God. Yeah. Is that really what matters most is we need opportunities to save souls. Rather than what job you get, it's far more important in, in how you work that job. That's mm-hmm. the key thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Matthew 7, 7 says, knock and it will be opened for us. So yes, let's ask God also now for opportunities because all, like all other good and precious gifts, Mark, it's from above, James 1, 17. So let's ask God for these opportunities and for open hearts to receive the word that we are trying to implant in precious human hearts. Now, if that's what we're praying for, then we need to be ready when the opportunity True. shows up. And first kind Peter, of looking, yeah. Yeah, First Peter 3.15, to be ready to give an answer. Not really, it's pretty useless to pray that God would give you an opportunity and opportunities that come your way and mm-hmm. you pass on them. Like, right. Like, I'm too busy and uh, whatever. So you need to be ready and don't pray that prayer unless you really mean it that, yeah, when an opportunity shows up, I will definitely seize that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So this opportunity that he wants, this door that he wants uh, opened, it's so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. So what, Mark, is the mystery of Christ? Well, the word mystery here does not mean something that can't be known. The mystery of Christ, mystery is what had once been not fully revealed. Uh, Particularly in the Old Testament, there were prophecies about the Messiah. There were hints about the Messiah. But the New Testament gives us like the full revealed message about Jesus and God's plan. So preaching the mystery of Christ is basically preaching that message about the Messiah, that plan about the Messiah and the church that for centuries had been, you might say, not fully disclosed. Mm-hmm. Just like Romans sixteen twenty four and 26 says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now has been disclosed. And through the scriptures of the prophets, in accordance with the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations leading to obedience of faith, unquote. So that really supports your point there about this mystery that's been revealed. What a blessing to live on this side of that revelation of this Messiah that would come and what he would do for us. Yeah, Luke 10 and First Peter chapter 1, 10 through 12, Jesus said, you're hearing things that prophets and kings wanted to hear, mm-hmm. or you're hearing things that angels long to look into. Mm-hmm. So you live in a very privileged time. So then the next phrase here kind of goes on to what this has cost Paul in his life. He says, for which I have also been imprisoned. So, yeah, preaching Christ led to persecution and imprisonment Uh by the writer. And so 
When the writer talks about things, the writer's not speculating or sitting in some uh, comfy office philosophizing. Yeah. But rather, he is one that is really living what he was writing about. You often make this point, Mark, about how <laughs> when we pray for opportunities, like this is not for opportunities to do the things that will result in our ease, but rather for the things that have led to our purpose for having been given life, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Do, yeah. Take a look at your life again, and is your goal in life, God, make my life easy, you know? Right. Because that's not going to be the best thing for you. Well, when you're wondering what should I, should I go this direction or that, we often think it's the easy way that must be the way that God's telling me. That wasn't the case for Moses. It wasn't the case for Abraham. Clearly not for Noah. Building the ark took a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, so often, often it is the high road that can be steep, but the view at the top is gorgeous. And verse 4 says that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Yeah, get to the point. Mm, clarity. Uh, don't, don't muddy the water. Don't confuse the issue. Mm-hmm. Don't ramble. Address the specific need Declare it openly. Don't beat around the bush so much that people don't have a clue what the bush is you're beating around. (laughs) Yes, and trying to impress them or whatever. Yeah, declare it openly, boldly. I think what someone said is that, you know, this message converted people in the first century, converted a lot of people in the first century, changed people that had been adulterers and thieves and et cetera and drunkards and addicts and you name it, and changed them drastically transform them yeah clarity for our hearers as we tell them the good news is the primary goal when we speak god's truth for sure all right so verse five though it's not all about just words mark it's five conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders making the most of the opportunity and outsiders would be non-christians right so with wisdom is first of all realize who's watching you and what you're saying and they need the light, and you have it, you might say, don't get in the way of the message. Mm, I like that. So, yeah, make the most of the opportunity is a great statement. But wisdom towards outsiders is, well, I think it would be like in in a Bible study, in a class situation, when you have non-Christians visiting, man, be aware of them there and Craft your comments wisely. Yeah, pretend almost to hear it through the ears of other people, you know, without all your background and, you know, everything you have going on. Listen to yourself speak truth through those. Imagine yourself being in their shoes and they're hearing you say some concepts for the first time, maybe, you know? Well, another thing I think it would be like, Certainly, do not complain about Christians. Do not complain oh, about the church. Do not bash do the bride not of Christ. Question God and things like that, you know. And don't say like dumb things like, "Well, the older I get, the less I know." It's hey, outsiders are listening. Mm-hmm. You want them to be impressed by the message. It's clarity. It's practicality. It's wisdom represent the message well. Yeah. I mean, while our motivation, Mark, for living a holy life is never in order to be seen or like admired or by people, you know, according to Matthew 6, 1. But that being said, when outsiders witness the results of our living by God's wisdom, God's plan is that they be inspired to follow, you know, this humble example of living according to his wisdom. So, It's okay that, you know, as we conduct ourselves towards wisdom, it's not to be seen by men, but 
they are going to see it and hopefully be inspired. Well, and one thing, hopefully what they'll see is it works. That's the because thing. You're kind of like a floor model. You're, you're, yeah. you know, you're, you're a floor model or yeah. you're kind of the car that, you know, like, well, okay, how does this perform? Yeah. And how's this family look? How's this marriage look? How's, yeah. how's the if, relationship at worship look? Yeah. If it's not working for you, well, then why should they try it? I mean, mm-hmm. why should someone pick up their cross, mm-hmm. you know, like, hey, I want to see that it actually works in your life. And that's the opportunity we have to show other people that this really does work in your life. Mm-hmm. I love this phrase, making the most of the opportunity. So there are all kinds of opportunities. This one's talking about the opportunity to conduct ourselves wisely towards outsiders. But I mean, Mark, isn't every moment an opportunity to better other people or better oneself in one way or another? And I just think about how dare we squander time. But instead, I think about when Jesus said, hey, gather up the leftover pieces here and there that nothing be wasted. I mean, time is more important than bread, Mark. Yes. <laughs> so let's not waste time for time is time is more valuable than bread. Let's live life with our eyes open to the bigger realities at play in every given moment. It, it's interesting. It's assumed from the verse that you will have opportunity. It's extend the conversation. It's ask additional questions. It's have like a card on you, Mm. have something. What do you mean a card? Like a contact card. There you go. Um, Have something to give them with your contact information Mm -hmm. on it or the plan of salvation or something. A website where your podcasts are or where your, yeah, something you can hand to them that if they were to pursue what's on that card, they could find some wisdom. Or, you know, like they show up at services. How about lunch? Mm-hmm. Uh, how about we go somewhere after? Mm-hmm. Again, man, exploit that opportunity all you can in a good sense. Just... For their good, yeah. Yes, for their good. There would be a number of things like that, applications that you can make from the standpoint of, like a congregation, have a website. Oh, and have sermons have on the website. Yeah. And the, the issues that are in your area that are really pressing, yes. have those addressed on your website. Thanks have the plan for... of salvation on the website. Yeah. Make the most of the opportunity. Hmm. Wow, that was a really good application. Yeah, I like the point, and I, I hope folks listen to the part where you were like, if your community has a specific challenge, because, you know, Las Vegas is going to maybe be challenged by something different than Salt Lake City, but know whatever, <laughs> what wisdom is lacking in your community and make that really accessible for people to find answers on your website. Very useful. All right, yeah. so six is also a kind of opportunity, right? Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt. So what is speech that's with grace, Mark? It would be persuasive. Uh, uh, it would be encouraging, uh-huh. but so many people misuse grace. Clearly, it is not speech that says you can do anything you want and you're okay. But this would be persuasive speech. It would be very winsome and it would be... I mean, you're presenting the gospel of Christ in its—the gospel of Christ is attractive. God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. I mean, look at the amazing, attractive side of this message. There is a God Mm -hmm. 
you're not an accident. You have a tremendous value. You have so much value that your soul is worth more than the universe. Yeah. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus for you. And it doesn't matter who you are. It's for all the world. Mm -hmm. And you can understand it too. And he mm -hmm. wants to enjoy eternity with you forever. And it's going to make your life here better. Absolutely. Yeah. Season with salt and with grace. Do you think with grace, Mark, also is going to include kind of like treating people better than they deserve, you know, how God treats us with grace. Sometimes our speech, you know, we could like tear people up for what they said. And, but instead we're going to have speech that's with grace. I don't know if that's part of it. Yeah. I mean, there certainly there would be some forbearance. There would, you might say some, um, godly politeness here yeah, yeah. kind wise uh, there's kindness in the speech mm -hmm. but it would also be a lot of the proverbs right mm -hmm. there's someone whose tongue is healing mm -hmm. not the thrust of a sword mm -hmm. there you know it's good news from a far country mm -hmm. it's uh, what you say and it's how you say it Right. And so really, since love is correcting people so that they cannot self-destruct, that would also be part of speech that is always with grace. Like God's grace is available to you. You know, so you say true things in the most gentle way possible. So season with salt, is this going to be kind of like tactfulness, Mark? Sort of like it's appealing. It's... I like things that are properly seasoned. I'm, I'm not in the <laughs> Makes you plan. feel like popcorn, yeah. Yeah. When you're speaking, are people like, kind of? I'm kind of wanting what you're talking about, Mark, some salty, crunchy yeah. popcorn. So when you talk about the spiritual concepts, are you putting enough thought into it that you're making it something really appealing to other people? Yeah, speech seasoned with salt is hard to ignore. Mm -hmm. It's intriguing. It mm -hmm. captures your attention. Mm -hmm. It's meaningful. It is thought provoking. Mm -hmm. The light bulbs in your head go on. It is worthwhile. Mm -hmm. Of course, salt is used not only to, it's flavorful speech where I think people have a hard time forgetting what you said. They have a, you said things that really, in a good way, got under their skin mm -hmm. and it, it is making them think, but it's also encouraging them, I could be a better person. Yeah, yeah, and you're right about the preservation aspects of salt, that just, maybe you're somebody that has a hard time with words, and you don't feel like you're very articulate or that kind of thing. Some of those people, Mark, we talked about this, like they are bringing more people to God than anyone else because... Other people can see how God's word is salt. It's preserving their life, like what they've overcome, the kind of maybe addictions they've overcome or, yeah. So you do not need to be a skilled orator in order to draw people to God. God's word is salty enough that, yeah, people will eat it up if you have the courage to just put it out there. Yeah. And the, the proper seasoning, of course, is truth, you know. Yes. Um, yeah, th this is a really neat passage because often the people that are saying the gospel seasoned with salt are the people actually living it, applying it, and they're really working on it in their real life. And mm -hmm. the way that they say it yeah. tells you that. Yes, the emotion or the conviction or you can just tell when people are speaking from their hearts, mm -hmm. for sure. All right, so that you will know, he says, how you should respond to each person. 
Yeah, now that's not some like impossible thing like, well, that would require me to be like, well, what do they need? Uh-huh. But I think making the most of the opportunity, having persuasive speech mm-hmm. and having it seasoned with salt, mm-hmm. that really is the way that you should okay. respond to each person. That yes. applies across the board. But First Peter 3.15 says to be ready to answer, give an, an account for those that ask you a reason for the hope that is in you. So I think a lot of it is what's the best answer that I could give them. What would really make them think? Looking at their question, looking at their question, what would be the best way to answer that biblically? Yeah. Where and it would give them the best chance of converting. Yeah. And it would it would glorify God. So I want to glorify God, want to honor him, and I want to give them the best chance to come out of sin. What might make them think more than anything else, rather than just kind of like some sort of, you know, like stock factual answer, mm-hmm. it, it would be okay. I, I want an accurate answer, but I want the best accurate answer I can yeah. muster yeah. right now in view of their question. Definitely worth putting that thought in consideration. It's not kind of like just a duty. Well, here it is, and here's the answer, but I, I want an answer. I want an answer that they have a hard time mm ignoring. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. So then Paul gets into some greetings here, kind of like we talked about at our intro in this podcast. So he says in verse seven, as to all my affairs. Oh, how am I pronouncing this, Mark? Tychidus, I believe. All right. I'll go with that. Our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord will bring you information. So I like this mark that when information is shared, uh, faithfulness in the deliverer is well advised for sure. (laughs) I mean, this is an inspired letter. This is given by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So this is not a place to put all the personal details. Tychidus, he's trustworthy. He will tell you the truth, like, hey, how, how's Paul's health doing? Mm-hmm. How's the imprisonment going? How's, like, his food, his clothing? Yeah. All those particular those details. details. Yeah. Yes. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Which is kind of a way of saying, you know, he's always concerned about keeping people informed. Yeah. So they don't worry excessively. I don't want you worrying about me. Uh-huh. I want you knowing like, hey, here's, I, I don't want you left in the dark. Yeah. Right? Right. Well, it kind of reminds me though of somebody that would like be in the hospital and their concern is that other people <laughs> are encouraged or whatever. Right. You know, it's just, there's an irony here that Paul is in prison, yet his concern was for the encouragement of those Christians in Colossae who are free, you know, they're not in prison, but he has concern for them. So that's, that's definitely some spiritual maturity, isn't it? To Mm -hmm. still be others centered in that position. Right. Verse nine says, and with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. Well, this is interesting. There's a lot here as far as Onesimus, his name means profitable. Uh Uh-huh. And from this letter and the letter to Philemon, we learn that he was a slave of Philemon and a native of, oh, yeah. of, of Colossae. And yeah. so that would be like Philemon 10 and this verse. Yeah. Now, he had run away from Philemon and yes. had been a very poor worker servant in the past, like useless, Paul says, uh-huh. Philemon 11. He had come to Rome, and in the process, lo and behold, what are the chances he met Paul and he's converted? 
And that's Philemon 10. All right. Now, Paul would have loved to keep him with him as like a co-worker because he, he, he went from being, as a non-Christian, completely useless to a Christian, dependable and very, very useful. Uh-huh. But Paul realized that he needed to send him back to Philemon. And then in the book of Philemon, Philemon, and here's a great test of the relationship and a test of Philemon of, yeah, he wasn't profitable. He ran away. He, he probably owes you money and stuff like that. But he's coming back as a Christian, as a brother in Christ. And so I would hope that you would view him as such. And guess what? He has a completely different work ethic attitude now. Mm-hmm. And um, the book of Philemon is a very, very short letter, but it really gets into what happened in a master-slave relationship where you would have a servant that was just like a pain in the neck, unprofitable, but he becomes a Christian. And now, how does that change everything? Mm-hmm. Changes everything. Yeah, such a good book for less of the lesson in the restitution aspect of genuine repentance. I think I learned that. Also, the art of persuasion that the Apostle Paul uses um, through the Holy Spirit in that book is really interesting to me as well. Yeah, a great little book. Mm-hmm. And it's not theory. You know, a lot of people nope. sit back about economics and they're talking more theory this is real life these are real people in a real Mm -hmm. life situation and how the gospel applies to that real life situation yes and we will dig and dig uh verse by verse in philemon one of these podcasts one of these days and for now we're doing verse 10 that says aristarchus my fellow prisoner sends you his greetings and also barnabas's cousin mark about whom you received instructions if he comes to you welcome him yeah aristarchus was a christian from thessalonica and it looks like in these um particular verses here we have christians from a jewish background we have like mark who is the cousin of barnabas we haven't heard about mark in about 13 years But all the references from this point on are incredibly positive. Back in the book of Acts, Mark had basically abandoned Paul on his first missionary journey. Okay. And Paul didn't want to take him again. And so Barnabas did, and Paul took somebody else, and Barnabas took Mark. But from this point on, it looks like that Mark has, you might say, redeemed himself. Okay. And so everything from this point on, you'll even find Mark mentioned with Peter. In First Peter, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I was just thinking it was kind of interesting how if he comes to you, welcome him. I think we still have these opportunities today. You know, Mark, when somebody knows somebody from another community and they let them know that we're coming, like you know, and so we get there and they're like, "Oh yes, we knew you're coming. Welcome." You know, maybe we're invited to uh, get to know, spend the day with people and such. So I think this is kind of a situation still today. So verse 11 says, and also Jesus, who is called justice, these are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision. Okay, Christians of a Jewish background. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, also laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. I like that word encouragement. It's actually a medical term meaning a solace, something oh. that soothed and alleviated pain. Oh. Could it be said that 
I'm like that to other people. Oh, uh-huh. Do you soothe people? Do you alleviate their pain? I love that in the spiritual kingdom, Mark, not even imprisonment can prevent one from having fruitful labor and prayer, you know, something mm-hmm. vital to remember in many, because there's other restrictive situations that we get in that we can still make a difference for good in the life of others. So I love that. So then it goes on to say that you may stand perfect. So Mark... People can be perfect. What's going on yeah, here? Or fully assured in all the will okay. of God, right? Okay, or mature. Yes, right. And f- yeah, fully assured, which to me speaks to a heart at rest. If you're fully assured in all the will of God. And the will of God here is God's will expressed in Scripture. Okay. Oh, and yeah. that's the only will that you can be fully assured in what's Good in black point. and white. Exactly. So, Fully convinced of what you believe, very knowledgeable of how, according to Scripture, does God want you to live and treat right. other people, and be fully convinced that that is the right way to live. Mm-hmm. Verse 13, for I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Heropolis. It's interesting. The cities here are named in a, ge- uh, a geographical order. And so oh. Laodicea and Heropolis faced each other on the north and south sides of the Lycus Valley, about six miles apart. Okay. And then Colossae is about 10 or 12 miles further up the river. It's mm-hmm. interesting that the churches in this region, looks like they will weather the storm of the false teaching that is warned about in chapter 2. Oh. Because... Some years later, when the book of Revelation is written, we do not find Laodicea being threatened by air, but we Mm -hmm. find it being lukewarm, Mm -hmm. and that's an equal danger. Yeah, so no matter the original recipient, so all the inspired writings of the apostles of Christ contained essential truths, right, that could make a world of difference to any soul, past, present, or future, in any place, east to west. So they're supposed to share these letters, just... And here they are today, still being shared, right? These inspired letters. Yeah, the fact that one letter was to be passed on indicates that it also applied to mm-hmm. people outside, mm-hmm. outside the individuals that are addressed at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Which would probably be the letter to the Ephesians. And so uh, the point that you made was that these letters applied to other congregations. Mm -hmm. And so the New Testament applies to everybody. Yeah. And it looks like that either um, the church in her house would be the congregation at uses her house okay. for a meeting place, or uh-huh. some say the family members who are Christians in her family. Luke is interesting. From the New Testament, we learned that Luke joined Paul on a second journey, like around 49 AD. And we know that because Luke is the writer of Luke and Acts. And so there are times in the book of Acts that it will say they. That mm. means Luke is not with the people. But then there are times that Luke will say, we, okay. and all of a sudden you know that Luke has joined mm. joined the band, so all to right. speak. Yeah. Um, Luke may have stayed with Paul all the way from his arrest in Jerusalem, okay. his two-year imprisonment in Caesarea, his voyage to Rome, and subsequent house arrest. And during those times, 
especially Paul's imprisonment in Rome, it would seem like Luke may have written the Gospel of Luke and Acts, because okay. the book of Acts ends with Paul being in Rome, and more than one-fourth of the New Testament was written by Luke. Huh, I never thought of that. Seems like Paul. Paul writes more letters, but Luke writes more words. Got it. All right, so verse 17 says, Say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. It what almost an... sounds like that he's an evangelist. Okay. And that he was entrusted to the Lord's service. Uh-huh. And it's like, God called you to his service. Do not fail him. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to yeah. be the thought there. Fulfill it. Discharge uh-huh. it to the full. Or Timothy is told, Second Timothy 4, 5, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Mm-hmm. Or fill it to the full, or it's like a lifetime job, or it's like that seize the day, make good use of it. Well, all of us, Mark, whatever we are doing for the Lord, we need just to determine to finish what we started, you know, mm-hmm. to his glory. Just finish right. what you started to his glory. So, yeah, got to take some focus to do that. So verse 18, the last verse in the book of Colossians says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. Looks like Paul writes the last words of a letter with his hand. Okay, so and he had a kind of like a scribe. A scribe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this not only adds a personal touch, but it also demonstrated that the letter was authentic. Oh, Because right. there, were, there were some fake letters, mm. Second Thessalonians 2, 1 through 2, floating around there. Mm-hmm. And the letter that would actually have Paul's own handwriting at the end, they would know, okay, we know that that came from Paul, Second yeah. Thessalonians three seventeen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this remember my imprisonment plea is really a reminder. Out of sight, out of mind is a quality of human nature that we need to not fall into in some situations. And so this would be one of them, right, to remember... What people are going through to the glory of God and to do what we can to ease their burdens. Absolutely. Yes. Paul is there suffering for the gospel. And so he deserves to be remembered. Beautiful how the letter ends. Grace be with you because, wow, the blessing that we need the most is his grace. So that's what our prayer is for you, our listeners, that God's grace would be with you. And we hope that our podcasts have been a source of learning to treasure that grace even more and the wisdom of God even more. And we just thank you so much for joining us for this book of Colossians. Mark, what are we going to do next? What do you think? That's a good question. All right. Do you have, you got a plan? (laughs) I think I do, but I I think I have it written somewhere else. Okay. All right. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks again for joining us and God bless.